So we've been looking at some analytics lately on our websites and social media, and we found that there's been this great big surge of people coming to our digital properties from Bing. No, that's impossible. Do you have like a large corporate Microsoft presence? Around this time of the year, there's this upsurge of people using Bing. It's back to school time. And what what typically happens at back to school? Parents go out and buy their kids computers. And when they buy a Microsoft computer, what's the default browser? So that's interesting. We should run ads on Bing for back to school stuff. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. So thank you for joining us. And welcome to episode number 137 of Touchpoint. Back for the first time in a couple of weeks, at least for us, I'm Reed Smith. That's Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed, nice to be talking to you live from American soil today. That's right. I guess we always talk live, but people don't know because the show got released on schedule, but um, we haven't uh, we haven't recorded in a couple of weeks because you've been out of town. Yeah, I've been yeah out of the country even. Had a great time. And for those of our listeners who follow me on Facebook or Instagram, they can uh, partake in some of the photos of all the activities I did. So That's right. If you need any uh, pointers, hit Chris up. Uh, before <laughs> we jump in to today's episode, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors. Thank you for all your support. Thank you to all the listeners. Thank you for rate, review, subscribing us wherever you happen to be listening. Still the number one way that people can find out about us and hear about the podcast. So please, please, please go out there and do that. Touchpoint.health is the website. You can navigate over there to find out more about this show and the show notes that we keep mentioning, as well as the other hosts and and shows on the network. Uh, We just appreciate all you do and all you've done for us over the last couple of years. Before we uh, get started, we're going to take a uh, quick pause and we'll be right back. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this, 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Every week, Reed, we seem to be talking about digital transformation and all the different digital changes that are happening in in health systems. And there's always this sort of like underlying thought around how do we start to become more adept and more flexible? For today's episode, we should, let's get into that. Let's get into how do we start culturally shifting our hospital to start acting more like, you know, a startup, so to speak. Uh Uh-oh. Is that possible? <clears throat> Is it a good idea? Whenever we want to focus on digital, that it really quickly becomes that mantra of acting like a startup comes right after that. But is that the smart thing to do? So today, we probably should dive into that. Let's do it. So first and foremost, though, if we're going to act like a startup, we really got to up our cafeteria game. We're going to have <laughs> to have better food, probably food trucks. I would say we need more people skateboarding through the organization and ping pong tables. 
ping pong tables, right? And uh, we need a bar that, you know, like a cart, <laughs> bar cart that rolls to the office yeah. at 4.30. Right? Yeah, yeah. Not sure any of that's going to pan out. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it will. But um, so this this first article, though, we're going to talk about a couple of them here uh, kind of in rapid succession. But the first one's called Act Like a Startup. And it's uh, from the fine folks over at MIT, the, the Sloan Management Review. Their first point of order is, is a little bit of what we're talking about already. We're leaders of what is quickly becoming businesses that are becoming more and more focused on digital, right? With the Internet of Things, um, you know, digital marketing certainly was early on, but the way we think about experience and, and those types of things. Rather than focusing on the ping pong tables and the food and the flexible workspaces, and because we, we forgot about going working in a coffee shop, the one point they mentioned before they talk about some of the changes here is that a startup is in effect an experiment that it's an idea that's conceived and is tried out and so the startup is like really a test of this idea to see if it actually makes sense and in hospitals that kind of runs really counter to how we think about innovation isn't it well because everything especially in the clinical environment is this idea of evidence-based care we're used to looking at show me that this is the best way to do this and then we'll start doing it that way. This kind of runs counter to that in my mind, which this idea that it's an experiment. I do want to make sure that we're we're not saying that the hospital or the healthcare system as a whole is an experiment. It's you know micro experiments, if you will, all throughout the organization that could lead to real change. When you say micro experiences, that actually kind of drives into one of the things that they they indicate that, that there's actually four characteristics of a startup that they they talk about in this blog post that we're we're, we're discussing, which is kind of interesting because when you when uh, I hear about innovation in hospitals, a lot of times I think about a particular department that's called the innovation department or maybe digital innovation labs or something along those lines. You've heard those before too, right? Absolutely. One of the characteristics they talk about is this kind of small independent organization that's focused on doing experiments and having the ability to make these tests or these hypotheses real. Well, I can think of a great example of that, actually, and he's been on the podcast before, but uh, Dr. Justin Smith up at Cook Children's in Fort Worth is living this. He was kind of that on the forefront around digital and those types of things. And he built a clinic in a suburb there of Fort Worth to where they can try these experiments. And so if you developed a new widget that attaches to an iPhone to you know help with telemedicine or something like that, they're going to say, go talk to Justin. And he's going to try it out in his practice before we roll this out to all of our pediatricians across the system. So he's kind of that way that they're vetting. You know, They've created that small independent organization within the larger children's framework to be able to test and try things. Well, and I think that's really important that you have a type of person like you know, Dr. Smith and others across various different health systems that are kind of embracing this experimentation, this hypothesis model. But the other part about this is, is that even though these are separate departments or organizations to do this, these digital startups, as they, as they call them, they can and should take advantage of the organization's unique products, services, and, and data and they should be aligned to it so that they're not growing out to be something else. Other, uh, if they do, they become more like this venture kind of model where they spin off and whatever. If you're doing it right, where you're trying to build that innovation from within, it has to continue to align back to your business and the stuff that you do for your organization. Uh, next one they mentioned here on the list of four, have a mission-driven design uh, so mission-driven organizations focus on outcomes rather than fulfilling roles. If you have kind of that focus on the mission, then that's going to, in their words, empower people to solve problems. You're experimenting to do, actually do something. And many times in healthcare, what we talk about is putting the customer at the center of the experience. And a lot of uh, digital innovation labs and departments that I've seen are focusing on just that. Like, how do we introduce this new technology or this new kind of process where the customer becomes the focus of that mission? Another thing too, is this, this concept of being agile and nimble and pivoting a lot, being able to move quickly and move fastly. What is it? Fail fast and fail forward, right? That's the whole concept. 
Well, I think if you're not open to that, then I mean, it's not that you can't be successful, but potentially you're missing uh, the greater success. I mean, if you develop an app that does something, you may reach the goal of it doing that thing. But if you're not open to pivoting, you know, you may miss out on the opportunity for it to become bigger than even you thought it to be when you started out. Again, if we're back to this, you know, mission driven kind of workforce and, you know, outcome based and things like that, we have to be open to what, you know, those frequent pivots uh, may look like as it betters that process. And don't, you know, invest too heavily in things that maybe are having just incremental successes. You have to learn how to abandon things that are not working. And that's something that's really hard because failed ideas is not something that a lot of leaders want to embrace. They don't think of themselves successful if they fail often. But in this particular case, what we want to do is by pivoting quickly, it allows you to learn from those failure lessons and be able to hone your, your efforts even better. And that leads to the very f- the fourth piece of this, which, which they bring up, which is something that I think when I say it will probably freak people out, accept delayed profitability. Well, I mean, I think we have an opportunity to really do because, you know, we, we as an organization are not a startup. So theoretically, we can accept the idea that like this thing's not making a ton of money or any money right off. It takes time. That's why entrepreneurs that are starting new businesses have to get private equity or venture capital or whatever it is to be able to have enough runway to see this thing through. And within us as health systems, you know, oftentimes we're working on razor thin margins that those things can be sometimes first on the chopping block if things get tough or tight. I've seen a lot of not only great startups of digital innovations within health systems, I've seen a lot of them just stop because they ran out of money or budget shifts or, you know, they had to focus on this particular thing. Absolutely. So those are like sort of the four success factors. But there's also that stuff we joked about, the ping pong tables and things like that. There's another article that appropriately enough comes from a website called Work Design Magazine that talks about how to build a startup culture in a big organization and some of the work design things that you need to do. So the first one, it kind of harkens back to, you know, we heard about the create a small independent organization. Well, this is create an incubator to spark entrepreneurial spirit. So the idea of just simply having the incubator or the independent organization will allow for some of that to foster within the organization. I think that's really important. We are launching a big CRM and we created an incubator place where uh, different departments of the CRM that are going to be serving the CRM, they work together. And the whole point there is if you bring them together in a space, the whole job there is to ideate, create new things and get them to collaborate together. Well, the other one is about investing in relevant technology to fuel agility. And a lot of that is not only the AI, machine learning, deep learning, all of those things. And by the way, if you're playing touchpoint bingo at home, those are three <laughs> dots on the on the board for you right there. And blockchain's a free space. They're in the middle. Exactly. But you also need to create other technologies to fuel that collaboration. Now we're talking about things like Slack and think, you know, any any other kind of collaborative tools that you want to use. The next one is uh, to use workplace design to show trust and understanding. You know, you want to foster an environment at least where people can pursue the ideas, these bold ideas. Entrepreneurs, I guess, don't don't worry about that as as much because we're in kind of a culture now where. Uh, everybody's an entrepreneur, everybody's creating something new and that kind of thing. But inside of a bigger company that may be, you know, restricting to some degree. Does that mean like, you know, painting the walls with uh, whiteboard paint, bringing the ping pong tables? No, it really is. It's about like workplace design here is not just the physical aspects of it. It's the uh, transparency, visibility, um, breaking down the doors, like removing doors, removing offices, creating open environments where you can actually work. That really helps. I know that some of us probably shudder at the thought of an open environment space, but you know it helps you become more engaged and more empowered if you're doing it right. 
uh, their fourth point here is championing innovation at all levels of the corporate ladder. And that really speaks to flattening your organization so that people at all levels can actually provide great ideas. And, and innovation is encouraged throughout the entire organization, top to bottom. It's not just the people at top that are smart, right? It's everybody. Can- yeah, I think so. And that opens up and gives people that freedom uh, that we were talking about before, if you have you know people at all levels of organizations you know actively participating. Number five, final one, uh, mix things up with other people. You know, there's a lot to be said for fresh perspectives. You sit on a ball or a beanbag chair or something like that, but actually having those fresh perspectives is is really important. And I've done that before where, you know, I've taken a a team meeting and I said, let's go into this. It's not just the same conference room, right? Let's go for a walk or let's do an offsite where you're meeting to talk about things just to shake up the background a little bit, maybe spur a little bit of thought and interaction. And and there's a lot of these companies now that are doing this like WeWork or wherever, where they're, they're providing these co-working spaces. There's a sort of a social aspect to it as well. And that's where the bar cart comes in, right? (laughs) Yeah. Or you go ride bikes during lunch or something. Um, well, that I think that was on a movie. Well, after the break, let's get back and let's talk a little bit about innovation in healthcare. And we'll share some good things and some bad things that we've seen before we uh, introduce the interview. Right after this break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. All right. So now that we've talked, uh, kind of set this up, I guess, and talked about environment and culture and those types of things, maybe specifically let's dive in and talk a little bit about why healthcare startups have struggled through the years. Not, not all of them. There's, there's obviously very good ones out there. We see them all the time. But uh, just as an industry, it's just maybe not as easy, uh, <laughs> I guess, is maybe the best way to say it. So got an article here from TechCrunch. Ooh, I think that's the first time we used a TechCrunch article and, uh, yeah, in our show. Yeah, I mean, it's just from a few weeks ago. It's actually titled, Healthcare Startups Struggle to Navigate a Business World that Set Them Up to Fail. They say, the traditional model of a technology company is quickly putting out a minimal viable product and finding useful applications similar to like a Twitter or, or whatever, right? You introduce this product and then you see how your audience starts to use it. That's a typical traditional uh, technology startup model. That model doesn't actually work in healthcare. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that is interesting. I, I wonder, you know, especially as we define healthcare. Right. Need-based innovation is a process in which problems are identified and sorted based on impact and opportunity. But once the top problem has been selected, solutions and commercialization is approached. In healthcare, we're not set up to to do that, to be that way. No, we're not. I get the idea of the need-based innovation, right? I mean, that's what fuels most everything right now, a better way to do X, Y, or Z. But what they talk about in here is how the healthcare system is set up to discourage all forms of innovation right now. So that's, that's unfortunate, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. We'll see y'all next week. Again, and they talk about three predominant challenges. I, I don't know. I, I see some organizations out there that are doing some interesting things uh, and have innovation centers and those types of things. So is it just that we're just seeing, I guess, kind of top of the pyramid or something like that. I mean, the people that are that are doing a few things, we're seeing that, and we don't realize that everything else is pretty well limited. The important thing here to think about is health startups. 
what what we're talking about, and and yours and my perspective is more focused on the marketing suite and the marketing communications world, right? Sure. We see a lot of tech startup that is very successful in that space here. There's also the digital health initiatives that are going right. on. Those things tend to be more ingrained into these challenges that they're they're addressing. The first challenge is institutional policies and hierarchical systems stunt into innovation. And they say here that healthcare institutions, they want to encourage innovation, but it tends to be you kind of, you start these things up, but then they get subsumed and pulled into these hierarchical organizations. And they're starting to use the same old processes over and over again. And pretty much innovation comes in and it never comes out, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah, because again, I think most healthcare organizations, like they're talking about here, they're set up for ROI-based activity. You do things and you get paid for it. And so the way the policies and the system is set up, that, that that's just, it doesn't lend itself to what, you know, this failing often and quickly and some of that kind of stuff. Um, it's just not not there. And then you, you couple that with some of the pieces of innovation that, that are even more prominent for a lot of folks is like the IP of it all. So licensing, royalty agreements, things like that. That's just not that's just not what we do. That's not the world. Healthcare doesn't understand these early stage tech companies. And what happens, what that means is, is that oftentimes healthcare, our industry, we confuse innovation or experimentation with things like clinical trials or the way biotechnology works, where, you know, where you're testing things out in a very rigorous defined way. And it typically starts in an academic setting. And that is another thing that early stage technology companies struggle with is suddenly they're now in this institutional academic world where they have to go through all of this work in order for even the the entities that they're partnering with at a health system to accept these digital solutions as being real before it even, you know, is released to to be something. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I think that actually leads into this uh, the third point here which is, you know, pilots are set up to hurt more than help. Man, we love a good pilot program in health. Oh yeah, love it. Yeah, you can never get anybody to agree to anything, but you can always get somebody to agree to. Well, let's let's uh, let's do a pilot over here, you know, because it sounds small. It sounds like it doesn't cost a lot, and it's a way for you know us to kick the can down the road, I guess, and uh, get somebody to quit asking for something. Yeah, it's it's kind of the cop out, right? It's like, oh, well, we'll just do it as a pilot program. Okay, that's fine. You know, and a year later, it's like, well, you don't have any more funding for your pilot program, you're done. Right? It just never goes anywhere. And and our organizations, these big academic healthcare organizations that we're dealing with, again, this is a place where innovation goes to die. The author of this article indicates, you know, that this is a bit of a challenge, but he also indicates that things are starting to shift a little bit and he's seeing the shifting change. And that's due to a lot of new people being introduced into the organization. Now that's not the clinical part of the side of the house, but different people within the administration within health systems are actually starting to embrace and want to have things succeed. Can I add a fourth challenge uh, that we're seeing here? Uh, This is, this is free. We, um, (laughs) <laughs> but it's a little bit from the other side of the equation, quite honestly, uh, like from my point of view, looking at people that are are creating and innovating in the space. I feel like what's kind of dampened some of this probably, you know, as you think about like, why would an institution spend time doing this and that kind of thing? I think some of the problem is is we're seeing a lot of uh, health-related startups and investments because people see health as a huge opportunity, right? It's a big part of the of the world and kind of investment dollars and places to make money. So we're seeing people go in, you know, probably for the wrong reasons. And they're just, they're building stuff looking for early exits. And so I think a lot of people are getting disillusioned with this idea of like, well, how much time do I really want to invest in this when everyone else is just looking for the quick win money out you know, kind of a thing. And so I think just the perception around this uh, has uh, kind of soiled some of it. 
Well, yeah, I, I would say that you're absolutely right. And I would also add that if you don't have that ping pong table in your, you know, your conference room, that probably also can be the inhibitor. <laughs> exactly. right? We're going to hear from Rodney Ryder in just a moment, who I interviewed recently about, he, he actually has worked within the health system and also is now working with startup companies, introducing them to health systems. And he actually paints a very positive picture of some of the cultural aspects of what you can do because he's kind of walked the walk, right? Um, but uh, we found one other article that actually uh, highlights 10 examples of powerful innovation in healthcare. Now, we're not going to cover all 10, Reed, but as you look through this list, what was the one that jumped out at you as, as, as the one that really inspired you? Well, there's a couple of things in here. I, we'll, we'll touch on a couple of them, but one is the uh, children's hospitals connect newborns and uh, parents uh, with a NICU app. This is kind of a, an interesting, right, where kid, you know, premature child, NICU patient, and they're usually there in most cases, even after the parents have left the hospital. And so that's probably not a great feeling. I, I would assume I've luckily have not had to do that. But the University of Chicago um, and uh, the Children's Hospital of Chicago use an app to keep parents in, in constant contact with their babies and the care teams. And so I think you know that's a really interesting one that I think has a meaningful use. I think so too. The one that I I really liked was they talk about the startup VR Health. Have you ever heard of these guys? They do virtual reality okay. in health, um, and uh, we actually use it in our long term care facilities as well. Um, what it is is really simple. Patients are given VR glasses, virtual reality glasses, during painful or difficult procedures to minimize stress. Nice. So what they do is they're putting into a different environment. It's taking them away from things that might be painful or difficult. In uh, for for people that are suffering long term from pain, it's actually a distraction, and they're using virtual reality as a way to create more pleasant patient experiences. And it actually allows that if you're going through a procedure, it makes it more safe because the patient isn't nervous. Um, it also helps with long-term chronic care management, which is kind of interesting. And by the way, this VR technology also will help clinics gather new patient information and share treatment instructions for after the patient goes home. You know, I think it's only a moment of time before, you know, they're going to be prescribed a virtual reality goggle set when they go home. So they can do their own surgeries. That's right. And maybe play a few video games, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now I'm going to need you to pick up the scalpel and I need you to cut an incision <laughs> down your right side. There's some other really good ones on here. Boston Children's using 3D models to shorten surgeries, mm -hmm. uh, shorten the time of surgery. So they get, mm -hmm. you know, you get to practice beforehand, obviously, try innovative techniques. There's all kinds of cool stuff on this list. So I have to go check it out. I think it's, yeah, it's really cool. But now what it will do after this break, we're going to go over to the interview I did recently with Rodney Ryder, and he'll share some of his perspectives on how to build that culture of innovation and that culture of like a startup within your hospital. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code POD. That's ShipStation.com with the code POD. Welcome back to the Ask the Experts section of the podcast. And today I am talking with a gentleman that I've had a number of conversations with. We, I think we got to know each other over LinkedIn, and I'm looking forward to meeting you, you sometime in the future. And that's Rodney Ryder. Rodney, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm excited that you're here today. I'm excited about what we're going to talk about. But before we jump into the topic today of our interview, I'd love for our audience to learn a little bit more about you and your background. Can you tell them a little bit about yourself? I've been in healthcare about 25 years. More recently, I've been able to work with a fantastic slew of groups of startups. Yeah, you kind of moved from within a health system, and now you're working, uh, working with startups. And, and that's kind of an interesting perspective. Yes, I was running. I've run a number of health systems more recently, covering two states in Idaho and Oregon. 
Today, I want to talk with you a little bit about the culture. In my world, I talk a lot about digital transformation. I help organizations go through digital transformation. And what I've found more times than not, transformation really occurs at a cultural level. Would you agree with me on that? I would have to agree wholeheartedly with that. Absolutely. I have been able to see that digital transformation occur in a number of companies, both in the larger health systems, but also with the startups, the way they're approaching it. It really starts from the top. That culture has to be a level of acceptance. Are people willing to see the benefits of accepting what the digital world can do for you? And that's from obviously the digital marketing side to the, the EHR and all that can offer. Because what I've seen is some incredible stories that can be told from taking the AI side to the machine learning that does the predictive analytics on the digital piece that really says, here's where we can intervene to make that patient that much better, or in many respects, not even enter the hospital itself, because you're using that data that can make some answers that we didn't have before, and now that, that person is able to get the care even sooner, or in the predictive side, intervene before they even have to go to a level that they have to receive care, because you see what needs to be done. You said, I mean, it begins from the the top down, right, so to speak. But um, and, and is that I, I, you know, I, I can't help. I've worked inside of health systems and outside, similar to you, over the last you know decade or so. And it's almost I, I make this analogy that when you're working within a health system, it's almost like driving uh, um, an aircraft carrier. It's it's so big. It's such a big. BMF thing to kind of move and navigate. Yet often we are in facing in in sort of in the competitive landscape, we're up against these smaller startup companies that are much more nimble. They're more like U-boats, if I can extend that analogy. That is one of the challenges for a CEO in any health system is the ability to to see where you need to go and to make those adjustments as you're using the aircraft carrier soon enough so you're not falling behind. And we have been struggling with that in the larger health systems because of the, the niches that have been coming through with the competitors and with these startups, pulling out different pieces of business that make it more difficult for us to be financially viable, as financially viable as we need to be. At the same time, we're giving up a lot of the care and the loyalty that a lot of those patients would have because now they're going to a, a more nimble competitor. The, the, the health systems, we've got to look at that, and that's one of the learnings. How do we make the structure so we can be as nimble as maybe some of these smaller ones and still meet the need of the larger organization and the larger community? Certainly, when we're, when we're talking about that, right, um, it's not lost on me that some of the competitors that, that we're keeping a close eye on, even large technology companies like the Amazons and the Googles and things like that, who they themselves have adopted more of a nimble, almost agile approach to their, their business uh, models. That is so true. And that, the, a lot of competitors, and if you look at what's happening on the, the capital equity markets, a lot of money, money flowing in to do exactly what you're talking about. These competitors coming in, they are larger systems, but they're able to structure themselves and have the right people in the right places to be as nimble and to be looking at what's happening in the marketplace and take that action before it's necessary to just react. They are, they are moving forward, so they're not reacting. They are setting the tone for how to respond to what's necessary to provide the best care. So we as CEOs and we as leaders of the health systems have to be looking forward to say, all right, where are we going to make those adjustments and how do we set up that culture so we can be that excited to take in these new entities that, that maybe the, an innovation center, for example, you have that set up and you start applying that to your system itself because you've been looking at that for a couple of years, knowing that there's going to be changes upcoming. You, you keep hinting towards like some of those changes that need to occur. <laughs> and that's the first one you gave, right? Which is right. an innovation center or an innovation lab. And I've been involved with helping set up a couple of those within health systems. And what are some of the ways that you've been able to see these large organizations start to become more like a, a startup, so to speak? Looking at a health system, and let's just talk about health systems themselves for a minute. Mm -hmm. You've got a wide range of people working within your system that have a lot of incredible expertise in a lot of different areas. And so a lot of what we have to do is we're looking at how that flow occurs across the organization. And we have to build a lot of consensus. We have to look at ways of saying, all right, everybody on board, how do we move forward? Because you're moving, again, I like your analogy with that aircraft carrier. So how do you do it within a system? Well, let's compare real quick to what's happening on the startup side. As I've been dealing with the startups uh, now for a couple of years, they have such a passion and such a, a depth of knowledge in one or two topics that is incredible. And that passion carries through. They, they think there's no way they can't succeed. 
And so I often thought as I'm dealing with them, how do I get that same mentality in a larger system? Well, you do that by setting up the framework of saying, all right, where can we have those, those type of people within a different section of the hospital, innovation centers, but also that, that are willing to take the risk. And we set up that structure that allows them to take that risk to say, all right, this is okay. We can do this. We can make things happen. And how do they get that information? Well, we as leaders are saying, all right, let's look at what we can do on the digital transformation side. Look, what can we do on the medical device side? Is there a vent out there that's maybe smaller that we can set up and say, let's do a pilot. Let's adapt the pilots and move quickly. That's the key. Are you willing to take that risk and not putting any kind of care at risk, but the proper pilot programs for the different units with those kind of people that you put in charge to drive that change through the organization. That's the key. And that's where I've seen it happen the most. And you can look at the big systems, the, the Mayos, the Fairviews, the UPMCs, all these type of places are saying, all right, we've got this, I don't want to say it in a negative term, but sometimes bureaucratic because it has to go through a process because of safety. But how do you adapt that, that, passion and that desire for I'm not going to fail within a system with that that same mentality that the startups have and apply it in certain places where you can have an immediate effect. And what I've seen in that immediate effect, or maybe it's a, a little bit longer effect, but the effect is successful and other people start saying, you know what, there's something behind that. Why don't we adapt that over here? Start with one unit and it flows in across the rest of the organization and the people see the success and now you have some momentum behind it. But you've got your own incubator going over there, their own innovation center that says, "Here's let's try this one, let's try that one. And pretty soon you've got, a, you've got an excited culture on a larger level, just like you have with these startups, with a broader range of depth of knowledge. And that's, that's the best of both worlds. It's so exciting to be in healthcare. We're, what I feel like I'm seeing is we're seeing the future with, with the startups. How do you apply the, the future or the innovation centers? How do you apply that in the most most a direct manner to have the biggest impact and to gain the momentum across the rest of the organization. Yeah. I mean, I totally get that. I think that that is indeed true. It's like almost setting up this safe area where you can innovate, you can experiment, you can uh, create hypotheses, test them out and see if they work. And what's, what's that old mantra, right? It's like um, fail fast and fail forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that has to be the right people. So you don't go in and say, right, let's just do this. You've got already the, the pieces set in place, the scientific side to make the argument. And now you take the right people who are excited about it, know how to make it happen. And you put them in charge and you let them go. And that, mm. that's how you make it happen. That's interesting. So you're saying you don't pull in that, you know, that old weathered IT guy that's really concerned about every kind of safety security thing out there and, and has to plan out a, you know, eight month timeline i'm picking on it Thank folks, you. Yes, but yes. right but those are the yeah. those are not the right people right no you've got to get the ones that have an understanding that are that are hungry and again back to that what we could adapt from the startup side they've got a passion behind it and they've got a depth of knowledge that they know that they can apply that and there'll be a, a, a great impact that's positive that will work that others will say well look at that look what's happening over there and actually, that's what makes healthcare exciting, too. There's so many changes, as you mentioned, with what's going on, digital transformation. We should be taking those as health systems and applying them and making things happen that much more quickly. I totally get that about wanting to build this innovation center and, and create, a, create you know, this ability where you can create these pilots to test things. One of the things that I often hear, though, when, you're, when you start to go down that path is, is they, it's almost like a system that is not used to having sort of this nimble architecture. They want to silo that into its own little category, right? We'll call that the digital innovation silo that sits over here that's maybe an adjunct to the marketing team or maybe an adjunct to the IT team or what have you. As a large system, how do you avoid uh, you know, bringing that innovative concept and putting it back into this, this old-fashioned structure? That's an excellent question. I've experienced it myself, both, both success and failure in that area because I didn't have the right people. I didn't have the right acceptance acceptance, or you hadn't set up the culture to be able to see those possibilities and how it would improve their lives. A lot of it has to go back. What is it going to do for the patient? I mean, you put the patient in the center, you build the structures and the systems around them. How is that improving the patient experience or how is that improving the health of the community? All those type of things. You have to make the argument that argument comes back to what is that CEO thinking? Is that CEO the kind of person that says, how can we succeed together? And how can we make sure we're taking the latest, greatest? People like, we know they like winners, but they like the chance to prove themselves with, with new ways of doing things that improves the life of those around them. 
the right people do. Some are very comfortable with the, you know, the way things have been working. So you can paint that picture, but at the same time, I I've believe, and I've done it myself, now they get people excited and say, here's where we're going, and here's the impact on your personal day. Here's the way it's going to improve the patient care. You get that personal buy-in, and that's where the pilots come in. You start in one unit. It's safe. You've got the right people to support it. You make it happen. Then you can spread it across others, but you got to, again, continue to tell the story. But you've got to see that supportive piece from the top, and you've got to make sure that as it goes, even if you have some failures, you're willing to try it again. Because where I've seen it happen is you spend all this time and energy in a pilot, and you actually have success, and then somebody else decides, maybe it's a corporate decision or others that says, we're not going to move forward, we're going to take something off the shelf. That's quite disheartening. So mm -hmm. your decision as a CEO for a region, for example, or a hospital has to be, I know I have the support above me and I can make this happen. This pilot proves to be successful. It's a true pilot that will then be spread among the rest of the system. So it isn't like you lock up a bunch of smart, innovative people in a room and just let them go run havoc, right? There's a system here then, what you're saying, where you establish your KPIs, et cetera. Can you tell us a little bit about how, how to structure that innovative team? I can. In a number of instances, you kind of described a certain personality that shouldn't be there. You've got to get some of those type of people to get the buy-in in terms of being informed so they not feel like they're being cut out. But you, you have the experts coming in there, and I'll use that contrast again. Say you had a startup. Who would you write to design around that startup? You design the people that not only know the knowledge, but they believe in what they're trying to accomplish. That same mentality has to be part of a larger system, and you do it in a pocket. As they are set up to be successful, because you, say, for example, use the CEO, have made it so that they are part of a bigger-than-themselves idea, they can then be putting that in place to make sure that, that it's happening. And you're giving the resources, and, and you're actually supporting them through the, the financial, through the, the time, through the additional resources they might need in terms of people as well as product. And... I keep going back to the unit because that's where a lot of things that I did in the past where we had to make things happen. You've been able to give them the status necessary to make things happen too. It's not, you know, we, oh, that's somebody that's on work leave or something. It's, it's somebody that, hey, here's a star that, that CEO, the administration, the leadership team is seeing them as somebody that can, can really make things happen. It will improve, everybody, improve everybody's lives. And I would imagine that this person or these, this team would have to have a really good understanding of what the actual business goals that are trying to accomplish and they're trying to solve. I mean, it's like in, in a true incubator format, it's not just like you get a bunch of smart people and they come up with a great idea and they throw it up on Kickstarter, right? That's not how this is working. Yeah. What you're yeah. doing is you're really analyzing the business, right? The business needs and the patient needs, and you're trying to find an elegant solution that can solve that in an innovative way. Is that, is that a right That's, that's a great that? summary of that, yes. So if you were to take and say, uh, to my, my analogy earlier, you put the patient center and build the structures and systems around them. We have that already in place in most regards. Some inefficient, some very efficient. You were to take that and say, where out of those different structures can we have an impact and replace that with something? That's one way to improve. Or you can even say, you know what? How can we take those structures all together and make it different? And not just replacing, but how do we impact that patient again? Do they come in the ER or do I have them with a, something from the IoT, Internet of Things, that is already giving me feedback into the clinic that I can have somebody call them to make sure they're doing their rights on their meds or they're, they're, as a diabetic, they need to take some action before they have to end up in the ER. That's the transformation that we need to, be have, need to have happening right now. And there's lots of approaches. And back to your digital piece, there's information flowing in that you can have a, a cancer patient. In the old days, they'd be calling in the office all the time. Well, now you have a, a cancer monitoring system through streaming that can be in place so that not only is that patient being monitored regularly that will give instant feedback to the doctor from the range of treatment team is saying, here's what you need to do. You need to get more rest. You need to get this and they need to get that to the family member being part of that whole discussion at home that's given the feedback to the, to the, um, not only a patient, but if there's an emergency, the text automatically goes to the uh, PA or the NP or the doctor, however they've structured it, to meet them at the ER. All that keeps the patient in constant contact with the clinic. At the mm -hmm. same time, it avoids an unnecessary visit to the ER that provides then better care for that patient. Okay, so I'm going to ask a kind of a blunt question, Rodney, which is Please. this. Um, 
you know, I've worked in many health systems and, and quite frankly, innovation is not, how do I want to say this in a nice way? It isn't the first nature of many people that are, are currently within a health system, either in the IT side, maybe in the clinical side, or, and even, you know, on the, the marketing or the digital side. In your experience, have you seen that, uh, you know, is innovation, does it come from within or do you need to bring in people from the outside to do that? You know, in many respects, I've had to bring people from the outside. Or, a, a, for example, I had a CMO that was a, an IT guru who had been uh, overseeing clinics in the past. So he had, he had a different way of looking at the world. And his ability to have worked in other industries, from, frankly, as a psychiatrist to he had worked for some IT companies, he could bring that range of knowledge. So he knew healthcare, but he had a, a background of experience that he could utilize for us in the healthcare sector to talk the language, but to bring this new knowledge. It is hard for people that have been in the industry for you know, 25, 30 years that haven't, they don't, maybe they don't have the time or they don't have the curiosity or they haven't looked at experiencing things outside the walls of a clinic or a hospital. So you do have to bring in people from the outside to say, here's, here's how it's going to benefit you. It does come back to, to what's in it for me. And if it, it's able to improve their lives and the life of the patient, I think you can get the buy-in. Now it's still the change. We could go down the track of, you know, the change management side, but innovation is key to make things happen to improve people's lives. Mm-hmm. And we have such incredible possibilities, but you got to have the right people leading it. So again, top curiosity, interest, support. But again, uh, uh, what you're saying is a lot of people can't do it in healthcare. So who do you bring in to help you do that? And then mm-hmm. as, it, as it succeeds, what I've seen with this example I gave in terms of psychiatrist IT, incredible uh, techie geek who loved to just play around with that stuff. He was able to convince a lot of others that there were possibilities. And, and my job as a CEO was to keep knocking down barriers. So we did a number of pilots. We made things happen. And then we could institute that because we had gained the respect of a larger group. And it's also sometimes you might be in this hybrid environment, too, where you might, as being the innovative person on the inside, you might count on these outside smaller startups to kind of help and solve a particular part of the overall solution. And I think that 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 sort of that hybrid nature, that ability to scale in and out and and around and, and attract people, that makes this whole concept of innovation very, very difficult to accomplish. Uh, within a health system, because that's not first nature for us. No, that's well said, actually. That's well said. We have incredible people working hard, maybe very technically oriented, actually usually very technically oriented, mm-hmm. but they haven't, outside of their their piece of their expertise, they haven't been able to experience or see the possibility. So our job is to tell the story as leaders. How do we convince them? How do we show them? How do we make sure that that can be adopted? Again, back to improving their lives, but you're exactly right. It, it's, it is a tough sell in many respects because it, you know, some may say it's more of a, a lumbering reaction. I don't, I don't agree with that, but you've got to have the right people that are in making it happen. The other thing that springs to mind as we're talking about this is this sounds pretty costly to, to establish something like this. I mean, it could potentially be that way. And I know that that's also sort of an inhibitor for people to go down this path. Tell us a little bit about your experience with that. Is this, is this something that is, you know, potentially a money pit? You know what? That's an excellent point. You brought up about startups before. As a CEO or leader, you have to be very careful about bringing the startups because they can get engulfed or even become a, a sidelight within the system itself. And so you have to utilize them in a wise manner and give them the, the forum to be able to, to make things happen. You support them as they come in so that people not only see an effect, but you're able to utilize them in, in many manners to prove their point as well. So there's a way of doing it so you don't have great expense is what I'm trying to say. Long-winded answer of saying you bring in a, a, some of these startups that can solve some of these problems and you, you give them the support of your staff and your team. And you know what? You will then even have proved their pilot had a better effect, and you have additional opportunities for other sources of revenue. So, for example, something in the, in the, in the hospital that you put in place, you can then branch out to say, all right, this is working so well. Not only are we going to scale it up within our own system, we're going to scale it up and offer that opportunity for other systems to be a part of that. And the, the, in the front end, the, the startup has agreed to, to 
give you some of that equity and or give you a seat on the board or both. So you're able to be, as a health system, providing part of that direction, but also you'll have another source of revenue as you scale up and, and basically share it with the health, a lot of the healthcare industry. So money pit, it can be if you just keep buying <laughs> these things, right? And say, let's try this, right. let's try that. But there's so many innovative ways of using innovation to have these companies that want to make things happen. They got to have a good screening process. They have their credibility and all those things. But there's so many out there that want the chance to work with a system to prove their worth. And they're willing to give up things for the health system to be able to expand in a larger venue. And now you just, just not only help create this, but you're providing the the direction as a board member to where you want to go in the future. You're part of that innovation in terms of they're now discussing with you what next steps they can do as a startup. And you, you begin to adapt that, that as part of your own culture that, Hey, there's possibilities out there. And you know what? We can even make money on that as our other source of revenue are squeezed that we're having across with, you know, normal payers. Here's a way of, of making it so that system has enough for the raises has enough for other equipment. And of course has enough to keep reinvesting in innovation. That symbiotic relationship that you just described, right, between the startup and now a large health system, I think that's the ideal state. And it solves that pesky problem, which is always that build versus buy thing, yes. which a lot of people struggle with, yes, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> and in this regard, the description I, or the example I just gave, mm-hmm. you're building it together. Mm-hmm. You've already brought that expertise. So why not take advantage of their expertise? Now, uh, having dealt with a lot of startups, there has been some some failures and some of them will say that hospitals are health systems where innovation goes to die. I only say that because that's the worst case scenario, but it shouldn't be the case and we can make it so it doesn't happen that way. I, I hear a lot about developing innovation centers. Is that the direction that every health system is going down? Is that, is that what the future state holds? I think in all reality, that would be the ideal. It should happen. There's a lot of incredible, like I said, startup companies make things happen and they're not, they're not always able to have access to us as health systems and hospitals. And frankly, even payers. Payers are, are a great place that there's an advantage for that as well. They're, some of the payers are using it as taking a startup and they'll then offer incentives to the health system mm. to say, you use this piece we have that's improving the care, or it's improving the feedback or whatever the case may be. They will pay them an incentive to take to adapt this, this new startup mentality that the health system or the, the payers got that the health system is now taking on. So there's lots of possibilities out there. You can design it any way you want. And the, the mind just reels from thinking about that, right? That's like, that. that's a whole different approach to the, how we, we manage um, a health system, right? In the future, it's like suddenly now you're this intricate partnerships, co-opetition with others, and and just this environment where you're creating innovation from within and without and potentially ventures. I mean, my mind is just kind of it's, oh, it's boggled right now thinking about this. I love it, actually. That's what's so exciting. This is a good thing, you mean. Anything anything is possible. Absolutely. It's a great thing. So in the past, we've done the, we've done the joint ventures. We've done some of these smaller things on imaging centers or, mm-hmm. or outpatient surgery centers or, you know, different things with our, our fine physicians. But here's a whole nother level that you can do incredible things to make an impact. Now, offer the alternative. If we don't, somebody else is going to. The hospitals and health systems continue to deteriorate because if you're staying on the same model and you're looking at ways that you can just maximize your, just alone, your, your payer side, that's not going to be enough. Yes, you always want to do certain things that, that you enhance your care, that it provides a better better return mm-hmm. that should continue but a negotiation with the payer is not enough now to just get a percentage raise that's where risk comes in value-based care and these are the tools we can use that other industries have have been way ahead of us to to have that impact on value-based care here's our opportunity like never before in our history that's why i keep saying i think you know we're seeing the future with some of this stuff it's now whether we decide to have the courage to adopt it soon enough before we're part of the past Ah, uh, it all goes back to courage, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does, actually. That's leadership. Amen yeah. to that, brother. Yeah. Um, Rodney, yeah. th- this, is, this is so exciting. What a great conversation. Um, if people listening in, they want to learn a little bit more about you, what's a good way for them to reach, reach out to you online? You know what? I have a website, rodneydwriter.com, that I'm willing to help anybody in any manner that they would be, believe necessary. You can, you can seek me out on LinkedIn, Rodney, Rodney Dean Writer. 
Well, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to link to both of those in the show notes today. Um, and That's so people okay. can't follow up with you. And I encourage people that are listening in and want to learn a little bit more. They should have a conversation with you because you're just a lot of fun to talk about. Oh, thanks, Chris. This is actually really fun. You're good at this too. Wow. You bring out all the, I get all excited. I would be excited, <laughs> but you're, you're good at asking the questions and bringing me to make the point. So thank you. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you sharing your, your time and expertise with us today. Thanks so much. Well, thanks to Rodney Ryder for his great thoughts. He was really an interesting guy to talk to, and I encourage everybody to kind of reach out to him on LinkedIn and drop him a line. Uh, he's got a lot of a lot of interesting things to, to say. So thanks for his time today. Absolutely. And uh, before we get to recommendations, a couple of uh, updates. Thanks for everybody that uh, I was able to chat with at ShishMed here recently. That was uh, fun having everybody here in Nashville. We had a great event at our organization and fun to see everybody. Had a good time visiting with a lot of folks. Next on the agenda is a webinar Chris and I are doing with our friends over at Medicom on September the 25th. Again, you can get all the links in the show notes, but we're going to be talking about what we have learned, not about podcasting, but from doing the podcast. So some different things. So again, this is not about podcasting. It's about uh, the different things that we've learned from talking with folks over these 137 episodes. Actually, there'll be a few more than that by that point. So that should be a a really fun uh, webinar to do. And about a month later, we're going to be at the 2019 Mayo Clinic Social Media Network's annual conference here in Rochester, Minnesota, here in um, my fair state, Reed. Yes. Um, and that's always a conference. This is this is the one we decided we've been at a number of them, but this is the ninth official annual conference. Um, we're looking forward to that. It's a, It really is a conference that focuses on not just social media, but a lot of things around social media, including content, digital. There's, there's going to be a lot of things. I'm going to be speaking there. You're going to be speaking there. You're going to be doing something about reviews. And we're talking about putting customers at the center of your digital strategy. It's just going to be a fun time. Plus, you're going to be on the beautiful Mayo Clinic campus, right? That's right. Sign up for the art tour. You heard it here first. <laughs> Um, And then just a few weeks later, November the 4th through the 6th, down in sunny Orlando, Florida, is the Healthcare Internet Conference. Always a staple on our calendar each and every year. We will be there and actually uh, be doing the podcast from the conference. So it'll be a lot of fun. I know you've got some other things on the agenda. And uh, we have some more things, uh, some partnership-related things with uh, the Healthcare Internet Conference that we'll talk about a little bit later uh, but be sure to check that out uh, over at their website and get signed up before uh, prices go up. Just go visit our show notes and you can get that information. Absolutely. Well, what uh, what do you recommend today? Well, Reed, while I was away, as many of you know, I was overseas. I was actually using a lot of different technologies to help me with my travel. And uh, one of the things I found by going into a country where you don't really know the language. I mean, I wasn't very well-versed at French. I use the Google Translate app. Have you ever used this app? I have used it just like copy-paste a statement here and there, uh, but not to any real extent. Well, Reed, not only can you copy in, so what you do is you pick your sort, your original language and then you, where you want to translate it to. So you can do that, right? You can copy and paste in language. The other great thing about the app is there's a couple of other things. Um, you could talk into it. You could say something in, in one language and then it will translate it and say it back to you through your phone. So if you want to do like kind of conversational back and forths with people that don't know the language, you could just do it that way, which I actually used once or twice with some really patient French people that I was, I was talking to at, uh, you know, certain places. But the last thing that really kind of made it awesome is it integrates also with your phone, with your camera. Hmm. And you can actually hold your phone up and it will using virtual reality translate the language for you through your phone. That was a, a game changer for me. I was at the, uh, we came, actually took, uh, you know, came in through the train station and I was at the train station and there was not a lot of signs that were translated in both languages at the train station. And I helped use that to help me guide, guide us through where we needed to go. That was really, really helpful. So this week I am going to rep- recommend strongly the Google Translate app. Nice. 
I'm glad to know I'm bilingual now. <laughs> yeah, you did. well, Google is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's awesome. So I am going to recommend an app called Acorns. A-C-O-R-N-S, acorns.com. It's a, it's a pretty cool app. You tie it to your bank account and like as you spend money, it rounds up the change and like invests the change for you. Wow. So you, you can also set to like, hey, I, you know, $10 a week or $100 a month or, you know, whatever, whatever you want to do. You could set some predetermined things and just from your bank account, it'll grab that $10 and invest it or whatever. But you can tie it to your bank account and it will round up all of your expenditures and uh, invest the loose change, if you will, uh, over time. It's an interesting way that like, like if you wanted to save it for a vacation or something, like this is a way you could do it that would be not terribly noticeable to your day-to-day life, quite honestly. And then you'll open up the app or take a look in there and go, whoa, you know, I've got a thousand dollars or whatever, you know, whatever uh, in this, you just didn't realize it, you know, kind of a deal. So they've also come out, I think with a debit card now that makes it, you know, a little more direct as far as the roundups is what they call them. But anyway, it's just kind of cool. It's a couple of different, uh, as you know, we talked about pivoting earlier. They've, 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 added, if you will, some different services through the years and stuff like that. But uh, anyway, yeah, it's kind of neat. Micro investing. I don't know, whatever it's called. Everything's going micro nowadays, isn't it, Reed? That's right. It's all about micro. (laughs) I was a huge Micro Machines fan back in the day. So there you go. Oh my gosh. There you go. That's a third recommendation right there because so was I. And that guy (laughs) talked really, really fast. I wonder where he is these days. But... uh, All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for telling a friend. Rate, review, subscribe over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening. Touchpoint.health is the website. That's Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.